I've been doing a series up in the Collin County service uh, that I'm going to be continuing this morning. I'm not going to start from the beginning. I've done three lessons. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. See, God doesn't want to settle for fellowship. He don't want to settle for just a church full of servants. All that's important. Fellowship's great. We need servants. Couldn't have met today without them. But he demands so much more than that. He wants friendship. But what is that? We have to define it from the Bible and not from our own experience. Not from the world's definition. See, so, so far in the series, I've defined biblical friendship. And that it has to go beyond fellowship. It's got to be Christ-centered. And that its ultimate goal is that our friendships represent the image of God. We've also described the the substitute relationships. That though may not be bad in of themselves, but if we settle for them, then we're missing out on really what God would like us to see. And so if you want to get those lessons, you can go to the website. But I'm just going to go ahead and continue. See, we've got to learn how then to actually build biblical friendships. But have you ever found it difficult to make friends? Has anyone ever been in that situation? Have you ever moved and you tried to start over, even reinvent yourself, only to be exhausted in the end because now you're not 40 plus times in my life, in the 40 soon nine years I've been alive. And I'll tell you, it's, it's discouraging when you're trying to make friends and then you think, okay, that didn't work. So then you try to be other than yourself to make friends and then that doesn't work. And why is that? Why does that happen? Where's the quote from C.S. Lewis in his book called The Four Loves? It says, that is why those people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Friendships must be about something. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere have no fellow travelers. I think that's a great quote. And what I think it tells us is friendships is is more about who we need to be than about what we need to do to make friends. What we need is wisdom. We're going to need some godly wisdom if we're going to learn how to truly have biblical friendships, the friendships that Jesus is calling us to. And so we're going to turn to one of the wisdom literature, Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, you can see many things about relationships, but there's four clear characteristics that distinguish wise friendships. I'm going to mention all four, but I'm only going to talk about two today, and I'll say the next two for the next time that I speak with you. The first one is a word maybe you're not used to, but it's a great word, constancy. What's that mean? That's the quality of being faithful and dependable. Over a long period. Constancy. That's a great word. The second, you might know, candor. This is the quality of being open and honest in expression. But candor without the next one can get you in trouble. Carefulness. Yes, it is an actual word. It's in the dictionary. And the best way to describe carefulness and the idea of friendship is mindfully concerned. You're actually thinking about the person. So 
with candor, that's an important quality. But if you're not thinking about the person, you might have the wrong timing of what you're trying to say. We have to consider all those things. And the last one of biblical friendship is counsel. And it's very specific counsel. It's given for the aid in attaining moral perfection. In other words, to become like Christ. So I'm going to talk about the first one this morning and the second, and I'll save the other two for later. Constancy. See, I think too often in our society, friendships are formed out of convenience. Meeting your needs or fitting your schedule. I mean, those of us who remember grade school, how many times did you have a friend one day and then the next day they weren't? Anyone relate to that? And that even can happen as adults. It can happen in the workplace. It can happen in your neighborhood. This is the one wrong thing. It's like your best friend the next day, I hate you. That's the problem with friendships is there's not this constancy, this dependability, this faithfulness to one another. So let's look to Proverbs, verse eight, chapter 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, we don't appreciate the radicalness of that statement. When Proverbs was written, it was written in a predominantly Near Eastern culture where family was everything. To be told to that kind of culture that there's a friend that could stick closer to his brother, they go, you're crazy. That's not possible. There's only blood. There's only my last name. Now, in today's society, unfortunately, we've lost some of that importance of family. And so many of us, we may actually agree that, yes, there are friends that stick closer than a brother. But the question I'm asking is, how dependable are you? How ships? Look at this one in Proverbs 17, just to add to this idea of constancy. A friend loves when it's convenient. No, that's not what it says. A friend loves as long as it's going good. No, that's not what it says. A friend loves when he's loved in return. No, that's not what it says either. It says a friend loves at all times. Does that include times that maybe are conflicted? Times where maybe you hurt one another? Times of missing each other? All times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. See, biblical friendships has constancy. You know, when I think of one of the biblical examples, if I look to the Bible, one that sticks out to me right away is David and Jonathan. I mean, here was a friendship that was not based on blood. And I think you even see more of Jonathan's constancy than even David's. I mean, Jonathan was faithful to David. Despite the wavering favor of even his father who wanted to murder David, Jonathan was willing to give up his inheritance his crown, and yet even his life in maintaining his constancy in his friendship with David. How many of us would have been Jonathan in those situations? This is the, yeah, there you go. He raised his hand. Come on. That's right. That's the kind of friend we want right there. He says, I'll do it. And then I think in modern times, if there's a movie that sticks out to me of an incredible friendship of constancy, it's got to be Sam and Frodo. And the Lord of the Rings. I know you're probably thinking of something else, but I, I, that movie gets me every time. I mean, 
The way Sam just will never let him go be alone. Even when, when Frodo's trying to do it himself, Sam refuses and just keeps following him. Even to the point he's drowning in the water. He's chasing after him. Even when Gollum defames his character and, and Frodo in anger tells him to leave. The minute he sees that that was wrong, he's right there again. And when even he understood he could no longer carry that burden, he goes, I can't carry it, but I can carry you. Oh, I cry every time. And at the very end, you just see that bond. And I love that end scene when everything's over. And he's, Frodo's recovering and all the different fellowship of the ring people come in, all jumping, talking, and Sam's the last one to come in. And they don't even have to say anything. He just looks and they know. This is my faithful, dependable friend, Samwise Gamgee. Right? You guys all want to go see the movie now, right? Maybe we can stay after one of these services. We'll just have a Lord of the Rings, you know, movie night or something. We'll do 12 hours, man. We'll have breakfast, watch the first one, lunch, the second one, dinner, and then the third one. We'll just have a marathon. It'll be awesome. See, we can do that now. So excited. But see, that's the kind of friendship we need to have. To where we will be friends, even in adversity, until the very end. But you know who is our greatest friend of constancy? You can say it. You're right. Jesus, that's usually the right answer, regardless of what question I probably ask. But in Hebrews 13, it's so funny. We read this verse often. We even apply it in leadership so many times, and we miss the point. Look at this. Hebrews 13, verse 7. It says, remember your leaders. Who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so often we stop right there. And so we start thinking, okay, who are the leaders in my life? You know, I have had Todd in my life. I've had Andy Fleming. I've had Mark Mancini. I have my wife in, in my life. I, you know, you start naming all these leaders. And look at what the very next verse says. What's it say? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. So who is the leader that we need to imitate? Was he constant? It just said he was. Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the most constant friend we have in our life, even when our brothers and sisters may fail us. But you know, it never says in the Bible or commands us, you need to have a friend. You need to be the friend. It never commands us, be loved. No, it commands you to love. So whether or not anyone in this room even is not constancy with you, the question is, are you going to be in constancy with them? Because how many times have we failed Jesus? And yet Jesus has never failed to be there for us. That's the constancy that we need to have in relationships. One that's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That leads me to the second one. Candor. This is going to be a little tougher one. I've had a very good example of this in my own life this week, which I'll share at the end. Proverbs 27, verse 5 through 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wait a minute. Kisses feel a lot better than wounds. 
right? Wounds hurt. Anyone here have like a major wound in their life? Yeah, I think most of us have scars somewhere, right? Yeah, I've had several. I mean, two of the, the key ones that stick out to me was growing up is I one time was climbing a fence and a splinter went in here and came out here. And it had this, I couldn't get it out and they had to just get this knife and like cut it. Sorry, I'm not trying to get you sick or anything. Another one is I was going across a ravine and it was on a pulley system and my finger got caught in the pulley. And we were stuck there and they were too tired to get me to the other side. I'm like, guys! And it, it actually pulled my finger off a little bit. And uh, so you can see it's a lot bigger today if you actually come up. And back then, unfortunately, we didn't have a whole lot of money in my family. So my dad just kind of stretched it out, put it back on, put it in alcohol, and taped it up. And it's okay. I'm fine. <laughs> I guess. You know, those hurt. Wounds hurt. But I needed mommy's kisses right then. But biblical friendship is saying that actually wounds are better if it's from a friend. You know, if we're not actually willing to wound one another biblically, then we can't really be friends. That's what it's saying. That, that's a hard thing to, to, to realize. You know, another way to put it is this. Silence in the face of folly of your brother or sister is not love. It's not love. You see folly in one another, someone not living up to Christ, and you don't say anything, then you're not a true friend. See, we need to have the ability to use candor, openly and honestly expressing your love for one another. See, the wounds of correction are an expression of love. Look at this one, Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a person will, in the end, gain favor. So when you're rebuked, you don't feel very favorable in the beginning, right? Or am I the only one who's defensive when you're corrected? Okay, so I'm not alone here. Amen. I was starting to get a little discouraged there. But in the end, it will gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Do we believe that? See, we really believe that, then why don't we practice this in our relationships with one another? Why aren't we willing to deal with the folly in one another and not remain silent anymore? we got to be willing to say what's on our heart. Now, we'll also learn in the next lesson there's a good timing to do that and a not so good timing to do that. So we'll go up and ask, and if you cross the line, you apologize. You ask forgiveness, you work through it. But we've got to be willing to say what's needed to be said. I learn way more than constructive criticism than I do praise. That's just the honest truth, even when it comes to speaking. I don't always like and hear critical things, but the reality is I can learn more from that than someone just goes, great job, Derek. Great. What did I learn from that? Nothing. How are we going to grow in our friendships if we're not willing to speak the truth in love would be the New Testament version of this, an open rebuke. That's Ephesians 4.15. And the whole purpose of this candor is to do what? To perfect us in Christ. If you look at Jesus, was he full of candor? Oh, yeah. Peter, no, you can't do this. Get behind me, Satan. Wow, that's pretty upfront. That's some candor right there. I mean, he spoke openly, honestly, over and over again. If you go back and look at the conversation of Jesus, man, he didn't hold back. He spoke the truth. 
Look at this quote from Richard Baxter called of the Reformed Pastor. This is 1965, or 74, excuse me. It says, we will all take things well from one we know that entirely loves us. We will put up with a blow that is given us in love sooner than when a foul word is spoken to us in malice or anger. If you be their best friends, help them against their worst enemies. And think not all sharpness inconsistent with love. Parents correct their children. And God himself chastens every son and daughter whom he receives. Is that not true? If we're not willing to have candor, to speak the truth in love, then we're not loving. We're not being the friends that God is calling us to be. When Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, he's calling us to this kind of friendship, the willingness to say those tough things. But real briefly, I love that part, help them against their worst enemies. Guys, we all have an enemy. And if you're facing an enemy that's more powerful than you, how many friends do you want on your side? A whole bunch. You don't want to face our enemies by yourself. You want to have great friendships, great brothers and sisters. So what are the enemies that we need and be willing to address in one another? Very simple. The first one, the world. How worldly are we? And are we willing to confront it when we see it? That can be from the type of language we use, the kind of clothes we wear, how we invest our money, how we spend our time. The world affects us in ways that we're not often even aware of. And Jesus himself said very candidly, with candor, he who loves the world will perish. He's, he's straight up. If you love the world, you're an enemy of God. we got to be willing to address the worldliness in each other. And we got to do it with love. The other enemy, not a big surprise, the evil one. Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to give him a name for. He's actively pursuing each and every one of us. Don't we want to know we have a friend that's going to help us against that enemy? That's willing to say the things that need to be said? And let's not forget the third enemy that we can't blame anyone for. You can blame the world, you can blame Satan, but you can't blame anyone else but yourself on this one. Your sinful nature. Our sinful nature is our enemy. And sometimes the problem is with sinful nature is we're the last ones to see it. Right? Particularly that sin of pride. That's usually the, the one who's prideful, he, the last one he, that sees it is himself. Right? I know this because that's me. I feel like I've worked on pride over the years and I have, have overcome certain faces of it, but always see help me see that. You know, this week we had some great time, Leanne and I, with, with the Assads. You know, we try to get pretty much weekly because we need friends and they need friends. We need discipling. And I appreciate my wife, who I have to say has been the example of candor and constancy in my life, my entire life with her. I haven't always liked it. The timing hasn't always been perfect. But I know she cares for me deeply. And even if I'm defensive in it, and maybe I don't want to hear it, I don't leave thinking that she doesn't love me. And I appreciate her because she's seen the stress that's kind of come up with me lately. With everything that's been going on with the facility, with life, with school. 
all these things, and, and even some of you have kind of noticed it. Like you, the other day I was here helping, and he's like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You seem stressed. What? <laughs> and so when, when you start hearing it enough, you're going, okay, something's not right with me right here. And I appreciate Leanne. She didn't wait for me to bring it up. She goes, we need to talk about Derek here a little bit. It was actually while I went to get the drink, so I was already set up by the time I got back to the table. <laughs> so let's talk. And I really appreciate Todd loving me enough to be very candid, using candor. And as he was addressing the things in my life, he realized that, Derek, I think there's, there's some pride in what you're doing. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you try to do everything. And you can't. You're in a different stage of life right now. You have three kids, 12 and above, soon to be 13 and above. You have a school, master's class. You've got three services you're trying to manage, 450 people you're trying to care for. Not to mention the other things in life, finances, this and that. You can't keep doing everything. And what I realized as he helped my heart, as he was just very candid with me, I realized I know what it is. It's, it's my pride, and it comes out this way. I would rather the stress of carrying the burden myself than the stress of feeling indebted to someone else doing it. That's pride. And so he gave me some very specific direction of things I need to give up. And I'll be honest, I, oh, I'm resisting. It's some things I'm good at, some things that I find maybe satisfaction in, but I shouldn't be doing. Because there's things I'm doing that other people can do, and then there's things only I can do that I need to be doing. But because I'm trying to do so many things, I'm not even doing what I should be doing very well. And it's been a while. I mean, my wife's been trying to address it but I don't always hear her when I need to. And sometimes it helps when your wife brings in another brother because there's something about another man telling you. It's nothing about my wife. She's awesome. But sometimes as a man, I need to hear it from another man because of my ego, my pride. But as I see all three of them just going like this, I'm like, I'm prideful. I'm just flat prideful. And it's come up in a new face, and I have to deal with it. Even this morning, there was more situations where I, I can see I'm still holding on to things. And I have to slowly learn how to resist it. Be patient with me, honey. But I'm giving things away. Because I need to be doing what I should be doing and let other people do things that they can do. So that's me. That, but if I, would I have seen that without the candor of my wife or the candor of brothers and sisters who were willing to say what they saw in me? And without Todd and Patty who say those things I need to hear. I'm so thankful to them. I need discipling. And I have a feeling if I do, I have a pretty good bet that you do too. But without candor, how are we going to deal with those things? In John 14, verse 1 through 2, going back to Jesus again, being an example of candor. In the Holman Christian Standard Version, it says this. Your heart must not be troubled. That, of course, assumes it is. My heart's been troubled. <laughs> but I need to remember not to allow that to control me. Believe in God, believe also in me. Any dwelling places. And catch this. If not, I would have told you. That little phrase is Jesus. He is going to speak the truth. He says, if not, I would have told you. Jesus is full of candor. He's not going to hold it back. He's not going to just tolerate. 
He is going to speak what is on his heart and what is on his mind. Now, he's brilliant at the timing of it, and he's good at how he does it, maybe better than us. But man, he always said what needed to be said. If not, I would have told you. How many times in my relationships where I should have said something, and I didn't, and I could have spared them and me maybe a conflict. Better a conflict of being full of candor that helps us both become more like Christ than to be silent in the folly of a brother or sister and let it destroy us both. Jesus always spoke what needed to be said. He says, I am going away to prepare a place for you. So if he said that, then he's telling us the truth. Because Jesus is a friend of candor. When he says, I will be with you always, he is telling you the truth. That's both his constancy and his candor. Jesus is absolutely our best friend. You know, next time that I have a chance to share with you, we'll look at the next two characteristics. Carefulness and counsel. But we need to make a decision today to be like Jesus. And to have true biblical friends by exemplifying constancy and candor in our relationships with each other. In the beginning, I quoted C.S. Lewis with the quote he stated, friendship must be about something. I believe this final scripture gives us the answer to that question and confirms the need for constancy and candor to achieve it. Let's close with Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, there's that candor, we will grow to become, there's the constancy, you're going to need that faithfulness and dependability to help us to grow over time. And what's that purpose? To become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Friendship must be about something. And I believe as disciples, friendship must be about helping each and every one of us to be more like Christ. We will need constancy, faithful dependability in our friendships, even when it's in adverse conditions. And we will need to use candor, speaking the truth in love, saying what needs to be said. Guys, if we have these two things, we can be friends like Jesus is friends with us. Amen.